0: the Daily Rios for Monday, July 27th. It's the start of a new week, and if there's one concrete way of proving whether or not my head is back into this podcasting thing, it's how I can't seem to go a weekend now without taking notes on topics for the new week of podcasts. Like... I need another obsession, right? Speaking of obsession, if you're anywhere in or around Philadelphia, you can start to feel, as each day goes by, the overwhelming escalation of energy, almost like this city has turned into a bunch of worker drones in a beehive. As the city prepares for the Pope's visit in September, Regional trains are on express only at that time. They're going to create a no-vehicle zone all around Center City with checkpoints along the way. And there was even talk or rumor that they were thinking of shutting down 95. Shutting down 95. I don't know if you've ever driven through or uh, around Philadelphia. There are only really two main ways you can do that. And 95 is the major way, and connects the entire eastern, what do they call it, the eastern, northeast corridor. Wow. My school is closing just for the Friday of the Pope's visit, but I have to imagine that the few days leading up to it, or even that whole week, will be disastrous, because people are going to travel to the city in preparation for the visit. They're going to come in by car, by train, by bus. Fortunately, I can walk to school, but for commuters, students, teachers, workers all in and out of Center City that drive or train, that week is not going to be pretty. And I get the importance of it all for Philly and for the country. Uh, it's just funny to see Philly try to transform itself in these past few weeks and, and uh, the months leading up to the event, and they're ripping up sections of Broad Street which is the main thoroughfare that connects south and north Philly, I assume that the Pope's posse uh, and the Pope Mobile will be traveling from the airport to the city along that route, which means that the sidewalks are going to be swamped. I live about two blocks off abroad in South Philadelphia. I either will have to camp out in my apartment for those days as if some bad winter storm was hitting, right? You know, go get my milk and my eggs and my bread, Uh, or I'm going to have to leave the city altogether because it's going to be a spectacle. I don't know if the city really (laughs) is really prepared or if they really know what's going to happen. You know, I know they're expecting certain crowds. You could probably times that number by five. Uh, yeah, it's going to be crazy. It's going to be like a mad San Diego comic con, you know, for the religious sect. And, uh, Uh, I wonder if there's anything such as Pope Cosplay. So, Anyway, I mentioned my school where I teach, and I'll be going into my ninth semester this fall. I started back in September of 2011, so I'm looking forward to starting again. And I've had a few people ask me what else I've been up to theater-wise, so uh, I thought I'd just talk about that real quick. I'm working on two projects in the winter just about simultaneously, which is kind of weird. Uh, And it's going to do all kinds of craziness to my life at that time. Um, the first project, I'm not talking too much about lately, only because it's, it's official, but not official, official. And I want to hold off on that, but it's amazing, and it would be a nice little boost on my resume. So yeah, I'm, I'm holding off in case anything changes, or if it falls through, or whatever. The second project uh, is, after, I, after a, a great run of Young Frankenstein at the beginning of the year, if I do say so myself, which I directed at a local theater here in Delaware. Um, Just was an amazing time. Uh, Really, the secret of any good show is, you know, hire the right cast. 80% of a director's work, hire the best cast that you can. And I was lucky to do that for Young Frankenstein. So with that, with that successful run, I've been asked to direct... Their uh, opening show for the 2016 2016 season, uh, Spamalot, which is a musical that is based on Monty Python and The Search for the Holy Grail. And the original production on Broadway starred Tim Curry, David Hyde Pierce, Hank Azaria, Sarah Ramirez, who won the Tony as the Lady in the Lake. John Cleese was the voice of God. The book, the lyrics are all by Eric Idle and John Dupre, It was directed by Mike Nichols, yes, that Mike Nichols, the Mike Nichols who directed the movie Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf and The Graduate and Carnal Knowledge and Silkwood and Biloxi Blues, Birdcage. Uh, He did the Angels in America HBO miniseries. He did the movie Closer, which I didn't realize was actually based on a stage play. On Broadway, he was the director of a ton of Neil Simon plays, And would receive Tony Awards for Best Direction for just about all of them, if not all of them. Um, Most recently, let's see, in 2012 he did the Death of a Salesman revival with Philip Seymour Hoffman that was, you know, critically acclaimed. So, yeah, that's some heavy footsteps to follow. Monty Python, uh, Mike Nichols, you know. Tim Curry, David Hyde Pierce, all those people. So between those two projects and school, my fall and winter is heavy. Lots of scheduling going on. And it'll be really interesting to see how I keep up with the daily grind of podcasts along the way. And it may just come down to, I don't know, talking on the road a lot, recording rehearsals, dumping clips from YouTube and things like that, or... Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I imagine I'll be sleeping little, I'll be drinking a lot, and um, that's going to be a fun four to five months. Speaking of drinking, is anyone watching Geeks Who Drink on Sci-Fi? It's hosted by Zach Levi, and apparently it's a pub trivia game that goes around nationally, and now it's a TV show. And uh, my girl and I watched the first two episodes, and it's silly, uh, and it's funny at times. Um, There are two teams of three... And each team captain is some kind of geek-related actor or personality. So they've had two episodes so far. Alan Tudyk, I Justine, Eric Christian Olsen, and Scott Porter have been on it. And the questions range from you know, can you tell if uh, this answer is a Star Wars vehicle or a sex act? Or sex act? Or can you tell if this answer is a Zelda monster or a mineral? Or can you? St- tell if this answer belongs to batman or superman or is this a hasbro gi joe toy or a real military action and so on and so forth so it's fun zach's delivery is a little too fast probably because it's a 30 minute show and he's just being quippy and, and you know i think he needs to loosen up a little bit but it's only the first two episodes and uh i actually wish the contestants were a bit drunker by the end but it's it's fun it's silly i enjoy getting the answers correct I was gonna make the comment that the show could use more ethnicities, but looking at future reps on the uh website, we have people like Harold Perigno, uh Retta, uh Dexter Darden, and apparently the contents, contestants, the other contestants on the team on the teams, uh are showing some colors of the rainbow love. But there could always be more. So speaking of there could always be more. <laughs> um I was thinking a little bit more about that whole Marvel hip hop cover conversation that's been going on for the past two weeks and the EIC of Marvel uh, responded on Friday in typical dismissive judgmental fashion over on comic book resources, you know, because they're just the pinnacle of of journalism with all of their softball questions. Um, You know, they have no interest in shaking the Marvel money tree. So, It got me thinking, uh, you know, because he, the EIC, dared to basically, in that, you know, interview, call people out on their criticism, more or less labeling us as, like, you know, fake people of color. uh, As if we somehow just learned that we were black or Hispanic or Asian or whatever. I mean, you know, none of us have mirrors in our bathrooms. So I, I thought about it, and it got me thinking, and I thought, you know what, let me, let me step into his ignorant shoes and you know just to make sure I was giving all sides a gander. And you know what? Nope. He's still full of poop. And, uh, you know, look, I, I thought about it and I said, okay, who were some of the people that I gravitated to when I was a kid growing up in terms of comics, in terms of comics that I like? And, you know, when you look at these names, George Perez, Ernie Cologne on Amethysts, Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, Eduardo Beretta. I mean, you know, you can see that's not an accident. That's not an accident that those names meant something to me. And I'm not even someone who fully, you know, I don't believe growing up that I was fully immersed in like a Hispanic culture. But, you know, it's not like the world lets you forget, right? So I get it. I get that those names are certainly easy to put more or less a kind of generalized ethnicity to, but they did, they meant something to me. And then George Perez was writing and drawing Wonder Woman in, in 86, 87. I mean, that to me, that's huge. And most of it was like subconscious. I doubt it was even something that I, but it, you know, I look back and I go, yeah, yeah, I get it. Uh, Those names resonated. They meant something. And Uh, You can't always do that with every name, but certainly now with the internet, and these days, you can look up anyone's name, see who they are, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. You can see where they come from, Wikipedia. Uh, So I think it's probably even more important not only to have these names, but to get them out there on panels and in pictures, show who really is – this is the whole point of what was going on in the past two weeks – Who are the people? Who are the people that are creating? Who are these new voices that are creating your comics? Again, I got lucky. Those names are recognizable. I remember talking with uh, Sean Pryor about um, JLA Detroit, the JLA Detroit years, and I listed Chuck Patton, who was the artist back then, as someone who I really liked in the 80s. And I remember reading back then a DC Challenge Issue. If anybody remembers that 12 issue DC challenge maxi series, where each issue was done by a, a, a new creative team. And basically what happened is the previous creative team just handed <laughs> off the issue and said, here's the cliffhanger. Now you go. Well, when it came time for Chuck Patton to draw an issue, he drew himself at the end of it. And that's where, that's where I learned that he was black. And Sean didn't know that. And we were talking about it. And he was like, oh, my God, that I did not know that. Um, it makes me wonder if the Dale Gunn character from JLA Detroit was some kind of, you know, fiction suit for Chuck. Uh, Paris Collins, the same thing, right? So, you know, it's not easy. It's not easy. Just, you can't do it by name alone. I get that. But, you know, promote these people who are doing your work. Get them out there. Don't just tell us, uh, you know, we're working for future stuff. Like, it's just all. It's just all talking points. It's all talking points, and um, I, I just don't believe in in like why be so dismissive of people who were having a conversation, a smart, intelligent conversation, who wrote articles, uh, who want to invest in your books, who want to help you hire more people, who want to see more people work for your corporate company. Who want to read your books. You know, don't dismiss them as just learning what it is to be black or Hispanic or Asian. Don't dismiss them when they have something to say on an issue that you and Tom Voldemort bungled, completely bungled. Listen, pay attention, look around you, you know, you may be one of them now. you may be the EIC now and you're on the in crowd. and you know what? you got there through hard work and connections and experience. we get it. but there are more voices out there and they need to be heard. And it's happening a lot that you're getting called on it. DC got called on it. Image got called on it. Marvel got called on it. There's a saying about um, that I always butcher. You know, if one king says that there's smoke, maybe there's reason to doubt. But when 50 kings say that there's uh, smoke, maybe you start you need to start paying attention, right? And I think that's where Marvel is right now. And the lip service, the goodwill that they've been riding for the past number of years is crumbling. And uh, something that I knew for a while and many other people knew for a while, you know, that Marvel is a, is a big frat boy club. Um, is starting to be seen. And, uh, you know, it's about time. And it's going to keep happening. So they can do many things to just make it right. And here's hoping that they stop giving lip service and actually do that. Speaking of Marvel, <sighs> I realized I'm sitting on a bunch of digital co- codes that um, I'm compiling a list of. It's not much... Uh, and some of it probably has expired. But um, I thought, you know what? If someone's interested, I'm not looking to give it away for free because, look, I don't look at jacking up a book a dollar for a digital code as a plus. I don't need to be basically forced to double-dip on an item that I already have, right? That's probably why buying DVDs is just seems so foreign to me these days. So, you know, I have the list... I'll probably sell them for like a dollar a pop if anybody's even interested, remotely interested. Uh, Or maybe if it's like a run of thing, a a run of a book, uh, maybe, you know, there's a discounted lump sum some price I'll give. But I bore the brunt to have these codes gifted to me, right? Like, isn't that what Marvel, you know, it's like, no, sorry. I'm not giving these away for free. I know this is a hell of a sales pitch, but if you're interested... You can send me an email. I can send you a list. First come, first serve. All that stuff. Most likely, all this is going to wind up on eBay or Twitter or something. Um, you know, for extra dough. Or mostly, I just need it for to for room. My collection is growing. It's just multiplying like gremlins, like tribbles. You know, and I'm not. I'm. I. I have to. I have to. I have to dwindle it down. So this is and <laughs> selling digital codes is not the way to dwindle your collection down down i i get that but it's the first step so lastly um thank you and a shout out to stanford harvey jr who provided a five-star itunes comment review uh i really appreciate that he said i i this is his quote he said i have missed this daily podcast but now that it is back my days have a bright spot thank you for all the insight and honest honesty regarding all the things pop culture and geek. So thanks, Stanford. That's my hope. That's my hope. I'll try to keep that going as best I can. And, uh, you know, that you and and all the listeners take the time to listen, not just to me, but to anyone that puts out a podcast on their own time. That's just amazing. You know, I get it. I listen to a lot of podcasts and uh, I, I like doing that and I like making time for it. And I thank you, Stanford, and the listeners for sharing your time because I know it's valuable, and um, and it's cool. It's cool to know people are listening and, and that you're going along on this ride with me, so thanks. All right, this has been the Daily Rios episode 285 for Monday, July 27th. We'll talk to you tomorrow.